Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. Our church's vision is to have a passion for God and compassion for people. We hope that the teachings in this podcast will encourage you as you seek to follow Christ and grow in your faith. Now, let's get into today's message. Well, good morning, Ritman Grace Brethren Church. How are we today? It's good to be here with you. Hope everybody is having a good weekend. And uh, if I haven't met you before, I'd love to meet you after service today. Um, I'm Clark. I'm the pastor here. And I'd love just to meet you, connect with you, or catch up with you. Just see what's been going on. Well, have you ever had a moment where God shows up in a way that you can't fully explain? Have you ever experienced something like that? God is always near us. The Bible says in Psalm 145, verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. Psalm 34 tells us the Lord is near the brokenhearted, saves the crushed in spirit. James chapter 4 says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. But there's also times that He shows up in ways that are both surprising and also purposeful. And in Genesis chapter 18, we're going to find out today that that's a moment that Abraham and Sarah experience. We're in a sermon series on the life of Abraham. Today we come to Genesis 18, and the opening verse of that chapter tells us, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. You might recall, if you've been with us the past uh, couple weeks in this sermon series in the life of Abraham, you might recall the uh, story of Abraham beginning way back in Genesis chapter 12 when we learned that the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And at that time, God promised Abraham two things. You remember what they were? The land and the offspring. And nearly two decades has passed since then, and Abraham and Sarah are literally in the same place that they started back in Genesis chapter 13, by the oaks of Mamre, childless and living in rental property. The two of them have been waiting on God for a long time. And just when it seems like the wait is never going to end, we learn that God shows up in a pretty mysterious way. And what we're going to see this morning is that What happened uh, when he does, when God shows up, we're going to see three things that take place. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. When God shows up, he comes in grace. He comes with a purpose, and he often surprises us. That's where we're going to go this morning. When God shows up, he comes in grace, he comes with a purpose, and he often surprises us. So let's take some time to look at that first heading together. When God shows up, he comes in grace. The text tells us that Abram is sitting at the door of his tent, enjoying his afternoon rest when three individuals show up out of nowhere. So Abraham runs out to meet him, uh, them, and then he invites them over for an afternoon meal. Because why not, right? I mean, what else are you supposed to do when you see three strange men walking down the street in the middle of the afternoon? You invite them over for a meal, right? But after the meal, the Lord strikes up some casual conversation with Abraham because, you know, that's the polite thing to do with a meal, even if you're God. 
Sarah, on the other hand, is, is eavesdropping. The Bible tells us she's eavesdropping from behind the tent door, and she hears God tell Abraham that she's going to have a son before the year is up. And what does Sarah do? Well, look at verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? I don't want you to miss what's happening here. Two decades have passed since God showed up in Abraham and Sarah's life back in Genesis chapter 12, where he promised him a great nation through his barren wife, Sarah. And then shortly after that, Abraham gives Sarah over to the Egyptians because he's afraid that they're going to kill him because of her beauty. And then not too long after that, 10 more years of waiting, and Sarah grows impatient. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. In her unbelief, we learn that she convinces Abraham to sleep with the maid in the hopes that she would become a surrogate for Sarah. And the maid then turns around, and after finding out that she's pregnant, she curses Sarah, and then a family feud follows. And now, yet another decade has passed, and Sarah is now 90 years old, and there is still no sign of a son. And this is a woman who's been waiting on a promise for 25 years. Her husband threw her under the bus. She gave in to her unbelief, and her servant turned around and cursed her. And she's probably, at this point, she's probably very tired of waiting. And she's deeply hurt and probably a little bit jaded from the whole thing. So the Bible says that she laughs, but it's not a happy laugh. It's a bewildered and confused laugh, most likely. It's the kind of laugh that you do when you hear something that's ironic or completely absurd. The kind of laugh that lets other people know into what's actually going on beneath the surface in your life. And then Sarah gets busted. Notice what happens in verse 13. Then the Lord said, to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? He bounced down to verse 15 with me. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Sarah's response is really telling here. Her laughter surfaces the hurt and unbelief that has been lingering beneath the surface in her life for years at this point, she's exposed and she's vulnerable before the Lord. But she denies it. Did you notice that? She denies it because she's afraid. Afraid of what? Is it because she thinks God is going to be unhappy with her? Or is it because she thinks that God's going to condemn her for her response? Isn't that what we do in our moments of weakness and vulnerability too? Don't we, just like Sarah, mask our unbelief? and hide our hurt for fear that the Lord will be unhappy with us? Isn't that why we manicure our stories and keep our conversations light, denying how we really feel underneath the surface? Aren't we just like Sarah, afraid? If the Lord knew how we really felt, what we really believed, how, how would he would somehow maybe be unhappy with us? Maybe you can identify with Sarah but notice, however, how God responds. Go back up to verse 14. It says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. 
This is a moment of weakness for Sarah. She's exposed. She's vulnerable before the Lord. And you know what the Lord does not do here? You know what God doesn't do? He doesn't guilt her. He doesn't shame her. He doesn't condemn her or withdraw his presence from her. What does he do? Instead, he shows her grace. He speaks into her vulnerability, into her weakness, with words of comfort and peace, saying, at the appointed time next year, Sarah will have a son. In chapter 21, a few chapters later, we see how much grace this moment actually is to Sarah when she names her son Isaac, which means son of laughter. And God doesn't come to punish Sarah. We see that he comes to show her grace. And he wants to do the same for you. If you're here this morning, if you're watching online, if you're feeling right now at this moment in your life vulnerable, if you feel weak, if you feel broken, you need to know that you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. God is not looking to punish you. God is not looking to condemn you. He's looking to show you grace just like he did for Sarah, because when God shows up, he comes in grace. When God shows up, he comes in grace, but he also comes with a purpose. He comes with a purpose. Here's the question that we have to ask when we open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 18. We have to ask ourselves, why doesn't the text just stop at verse 15? Why doesn't it stop at verse 15? If all God wanted to do was show up and confirm for Abraham and Sarah that Sarah was going to have a son, and that we, you know, we could just close our Bibles right here and go home after that. But instead, that's not what happens, is it? Instead, you get this odd kind of inner dialogue between God and himself, or maybe the angels that he's present with, followed by this strange conversation between him and Abraham, where Abraham kind of barters for Sodom, as if he's looking for a souvenir while vacationing in Cabo or something. He's like bartering with God. Why is all that here? Why does that exist in this text? Here's why. Ready? Because God is pulling Abraham into his purposes. Look at verse 17 through 19 with me now. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. That the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. So I want us to notice something in this text. I want us to notice the relationship between coming and doing here. God wants Abraham to be a certain kind of person by doing certain kinds of things in the world. He wants Abraham to become a great and powerful nation by what he's doing, what he's about to do for Sodom. So think about it this way. Uh, Michael Jordan, right? I think we all know who Michael Jordan is. He didn't become one of the best basketball players of all time because he sat on his couch and watched basketball on television, right? He actually had to get out on the court and what? He had to do something. He had to practice, and that is exactly what God is inviting Abraham to do here. He is inviting him to practice by becoming the very person that God has called him to be. So can you see that when God shows up in your life, it's not just to make your life easier or more comfortable. 
It's not to make our lives easier or more comfortable. When God shows up in our lives, he does this to pull us into his purposes. He wants you to be mature. He wants you to be a godly disciple of Jesus. He wants you to become that, uh, he wants you to become that by doing his will and his work in the world. And there's a kind of sanctification that can't happen inside of a prayer closet. It can only happen when you actually get out of your house and into the lives of everyday people. And this is one of the reasons why so many of us feel frustrated and stuck in life right now. Because we fail to see that what we do today affects who we become tomorrow. And I wonder if a lot of our frustration and tension would dissolve if we were to make decisions on who we were becoming rather than how we feel how we want, what we want in that particular moment, how we feel and what we want in that moment. If, if we're waiting on God to show up, in other words, if we're waiting for God to show up in our life to make us more comfortable, then we're going to be waiting a really long time. Because when God shows up, he does so for reasons bigger than ourselves. So we see that when God shows up, he comes in grace when, when God shows up, we see he comes with the purpose. And then finally, we're going to see that when God shows up, he often surprises us. Look at verse 20. Then the Lord said, the outcry, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Sodom is such a wicked city that the outcry against it has come up to the Lord. So the Bible says that God goes down. He comes down to see for himself whether the accusations are true. So at one point he's at the dinner table, right? Enjoys a meal with Abraham and Sarah. And then when he hears crying, he politely excuses himself from the meal to go see What's happening? He, he's going to judge Sodom for their sin. But he doesn't judge them according to hearsay. He judges according to what their sins deserve after seeing for himself what they've done. And honestly, as modern readers, we're surprised that God is going to judge Sodom for their sin. We want, to be, we want God to be more tolerant. right? We read this and we want God to be tolerant. We want him to be more loving we want God to be more open-minded. And we, just like Abraham, rightly ask the question, will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the answer is, yes, he will. That's why he's going to destroy Sodom, because that is what Sodom's sins deserve. That is justice. But that's not what's really surprising here. Look at verse 23. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there were 50 righteous people in this city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Bounce down to verse 26 now. The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. The surprise in this text is not that God is going to judge Sodom for their sins. The surprise is that God is willing to spare the wicked for the sake of the righteous. He's willing to spare an entire city for the sake of just 50 righteous people. 
This isn't excessive use of force against people. This is a demonstration of abundant grace towards ill-deserving sinners. It's a moment of mercy. And it points us forward hundreds of years to a greater moment of mercy yet to come. Hundreds of years after Abraham and Sarah take their final breath, God makes a greater promise to a greater mother about a greater son who's coming with a greater grace and a greater purpose with an even greater surprise. Look with me at the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 1 verse 30 we read, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. What is that? That's grace. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. What's that? There's his purpose. Verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Do you see how God shows up for Joseph and Mary? It's the same way he showed up for Abraham and Sarah. The same way he shows up for Joseph and Mary, it's the same way he shows up for Abraham and Sarah. God showed up in Mary's life, but he didn't show up for her. The surprise is that he actually shows up through her in the birth of his son, Jesus Christ. And not to condemn us for our sins, but to save us from them through his life, his death, and his resurrection. In Jesus Christ, God shows up with grace, forgiving our sin, removing our guilt, and clothing us in righteousness. In Jesus Christ, God shows up with a purpose, calling us to himself and making us a people for his own possession. Sending us out into mission to make disciples of all the nations. And in Jesus Christ, God shows up in mercy, sparing the wicked for the sake of the righteous. Catch this God could not find 10 righteous people by which to spare the city of Sodom. But in Jesus Christ, he found one righteous person by which to spare the whole world. The good news this morning is not so much that God does show up. The good news is that God has shown up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But the real surprise is that God is present with us. He's present with us in a way that Abraham and Sarah could never have imagined. God showed up in Abraham's life for a moment. But listen to what Jesus promises to his disciples in John chapter 14. And one of these verses I meant to put for the verse of the week, but I, goof, I goofed it up and I forgot to do that. So that, this is what the verse of the week is supposed to be. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. 
the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. You see, when Jesus was born, God showed up in the person of his son. And when Jesus ascended to the Father's right hand, God shows up through the person of the Holy Spirit. The one who is not only God with us, as Jesus was, flesh dwelt among us, right? God with us, but the one who is now God in us. Here's what that means, ready? If you are in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you. You don't need to wait for God to show up because he already has through the Holy Spirit who has taken up in residence in you. As disciples of Jesus, we get to be a tangible expression of God's presence in our world right now. What's that look like? We can show up to a diagnosis, a diagnosis in a hospital room with grace. Why? Because God is showing up in you. We can show up to our work day, the dinner table, to sport practices with purpose. Why? Because God is showing up in you. You can show up to Sunday morning worship with a sense of expectation. Why? Because God is showing up in you. Here's another way to put it. God shows up in the world through his people. Sometimes we can read Genesis chapter 18 and we can think to ourselves, man, I really wish that God would show up in my life the way he did in Abraham and Sarah's. Man, I sure wish it would be nice if he would come to my house and that God would eat a meal with me. But can't you see, that's exactly what is happening. God is showing up in your life through his people. He showed up in my life through a, a, a young group of college students, and he's going to show up in somebody else's life through you. When you bring a meal to somebody from church who just had a major life event, God is showing up in grace through you. When you disciple somebody or you have a Bible study with a new follower of Jesus, guess what? God is showing up with a purpose through you. When you have a neighbor over for dinner and you pray with somebody who's going through a really difficult, hard time, you know what's happening? God is surprising them with his presence through you. So let's believe the promises of Genesis chapter 18 this morning. That God shows up in your life just like he did for Abraham and Sarah. And let's be the kind of people who show up in grace, show up with a purpose, and surprise those around us. Showing up in grace, speaking hope and peace and comfort to those who are hurting and broken and vulnerable, just like God did for Sarah. Let's be the kind of people who show up with a purpose, living for something more than our own comfort and giving our lives away for the mission of God, doing everything that we can in our power to make disciples of Jesus. Let's be the kind of people who surprise those around us with abundant grace and mercy beyond measure, just like God did with Abraham in the city of Sodom. What if Genesis chapter 18 is less about God showing up for you and more about God showing up through you. Can you imagine what our church would be like if every one of us adopted that mentality? Don't you want to find out? Because I do. The next time you find yourself waiting for God to show up, 
Just remember that he already has. He already has. He did so definitively through his son, Jesus Christ. And he does so continually through the presence of his Holy Spirit in you and in me. So let's take some time to just acknowledge his presence together right now. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Well, Lord, we just, we want to come to your presence and acknowledge you now. And we just want to thank you that you're a God who shows up. Just like you did with Abraham and Sarah in their life and, and also in our life too. We thank you that you would make us a people who would show up in grace. That you would make us a people who live with a purpose. And that you would surprise the world with mercy and kindness in and through us as your ambassadors, as a people of your own possession, as ministers of reconciliation. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name for our good, for your glory. Amen. Our church's mission is to follow God, share his truth, and be examples of the love of Jesus to all. If you would like to know more about us, you can visit our website at www.ritmangrace.org or drop by anytime for one of our in-person Sunday morning worship services. Once again, thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast.